This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell. Joining me today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue, and the TSO's marketing director, Felicia Canny. So we have a lot of stuff going on today that we want to talk about. Uh, before we get to the concert that inspired our discussion today, let's talk a little bit about a couple of things that are coming up. Uh, most immediately, tomorrow night, May 3rd at Rosary Cathedral, uh, Giordano Bellincampi is in town. He's conducting along with organist James Kibbe. Is that how you say his name, mm-hmm. James Kibbe? And we're going to hear a lot of fun stuff on here. Does somebody want to kind of fill us in on this concert? Go ahead, Merwin. Sure. It's actually almost a tribute to Rosary Cathedral itself. I think um, one of the things that we have just been so inspired by that venue throughout the years. We've done a Bruckner Symphony cycle there, and it felt like it was a really good time to pay tribute to the venue. So um, one of the wonderful things about that cathedral is that it has a beautiful organ by Skinner, a Mm. a beautiful pipe organ. And Dr. James Kibbe is coming down from the University of Michigan, and he's actually performing a number of pieces that are kind of composed around the time the organ was installed. So very, very, it pays tribute to the just the huge range of the mm-hmm. instrument, as well as kind of some unusual pieces that you would not expect to be heard on the organ, but actually were contemporaneous with the Skinner yeah. organs of the time. I'm, I'm looking at uh, the list here, and uh, there's some Vidor, which you would expect for mm-hmm. the organ, but there's also something called the tuba tune. Mm-hmm. Is that for organ? <laughs> it is. It's actually, I think it's how it's using the very, very largest pipe, very uh-huh. longest pipe sense. stops. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the tuba stop. Exactly. <laughs> the organ. And, and so kind of making extensive use of that and then there's a beautiful piece by Fela Sawande Mm. yeah so very very unusual broad choice that Dr. Kibbe chose to pay tribute to that time period and to that organ in particular. Well it's also putting that organ through its paces I guess yeah Yeah. and then you've got the wonderful uh, Vetrate de Chiesa or Church Windows by Ottorino Respighi there is so much in the way of orchestral uh, masterpieces by Respighi that we hardly ever get to hear. Mm-hmm. So it's great that you're bringing this. And, and it fits, you know, in Rosary Cathedral. Giordano, uh, his favorite composer is Respighi. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> is well, that right, sense. He <laughs> certainly brought Respighi to our attention yeah. a lot. Those Italians oh, yes. got to stick together. Right? <laughs> he did a, a kind of an unforgettable all Respighi program a couple years ago oh, yeah. at the Paris style Roman Adventure. And... Um, it just fits so well with his mm-hmm. sensibility, his musical style, the way he communicates through music. This is a composer, not just because he's Italian, who <laughs> fits very well with, with Giordano Bellincampi. So we're really thrilled to give him another crack at, at Respighi and a piece that I think is completely underappreciated because everybody yeah. who knows Respighi thinks about the Pines of Rome. And then if they know him well, they think about the Fountains of Rome. And if they know him really well, they think about the birds. And then the, the ancient airs. Uh, yeah, dances, you just keep going yeah. down and down. And there's it's all great music, but the church windows is a is a massive piece. It's gorgeous. It's so colorful, and I'm just yeah. so excited. I've yeah. never seen it performed live. Now, does the organ play in that? Mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Yes. Obviously, yeah. And it's I think it's just the perfect place for it. You'll have this this sonority that really was designed for a cathedral setting, mm-hmm. and I think. 
obviously Respighi was not inspired by the specific church windows of Rosary Cathedral. <laughs> right. But I, I think it's always just a treat to be able to go in there in rehearsal and just reacquaint um, oneself with one of the really great spaces of Toledo. Yeah. Well, if you're listening on the radio, then this concert is happening tomorrow evening. It's uh, Thursday, May 3rd, Rosary Cathedral at 7 o'clock p.m. Mm-hmm. in the evening. You can find more information at toledosymphony.com or by phone, 419-246-8000. And Zach, you were telling me that uh, you're starting a little bit early at 7 o'clock, and there's a, a very special reason for that. One of the neat things when we were putting this concert together was to think about what the light in the sky is like in May. Mm. So you're thinking out to the sense of spring and the sense that it stays lighter later. So I just love the sense that people will come into Rosary Cathedral at 7 o'clock and they'll still be able to see all of those beautiful church windows lit up for the yeah. first half. So once the sun goes down, then we begin our own celebration of those church windows that we just watched dim. There's another concert happening this weekend that we just want to put out there, uh, something very different from the regular classical stuff. This is called The Best of Broadway, and it stars Connor Bogart, who has been here before, I guess. And, and Felicia, you want to give us a quick little rundown on this uh, concert? Oh, yes. So last season, Connor Bogart joined us for uh, a pops program called A Space Spectacular. Mm. And um, Zach, he was a last-minute addition and sang, um, he sang Bring, Bring Him, him home. home. Yeah. And just just blew the crowd away and filled oh. filled the entire Stranahan with his big voice. So, um, back by popular demand, we brought him uh, back again this season to do all the best from Broadway. You know, Phantom, Les Mis, Sweeney Todd. Yeah. And so pressure's on after he made that big impression. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> and, going and to he, be a great evening. Of and your he did songs. make a big impression. I remember after <clears> the concert, uh, one of our wonderful patrons, Fred Harrington. Um, quite a bit taller than I am as our most um, <laughs> came up and he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said who's that singer and I said his name is Connor Bogart and he said you gotta bring him back so we did <laughs> Great. so there you go Fred Harrington yeah thank you Fred so that's Saturday night uh, what time's the concert 8pm 8pm mm-hmm. at the Strandhand Theater right yes. and Carl Topolo conducting yes. the, the Cleveland mm-hmm. Pops conductor he's they're both always, Cleveland uh, natives yeah. Yeah. oh wow okay good well now we have come to the subject du jour, and we're going to be talking about at least half of a concert that's coming up. This is going to be a, a week from this weekend, May 11th and 12th. And uh, it also features uh, Giordano Bellincampi at the podium, and it features our own Merwin Sue, who's right here with us now, uh, performing on the violin. And it's music of uh, Bernstein and Mahler, primarily. So... This week we're going to talk about Leonard Bernstein and the piece that Merwin is going to play. And next week we'll talk about Mahler and the symphony uh, number one, the Titan Symphony, which is also on there. But uh, let's talk about Bernstein and, and the serenade. Tell us what you're going to play, Merwin. Well, I'll be playing the violin. has four strings. <laughs> <laughs> A bridge and a bow. <laughs> and what? I hit the wrong button. <laughs> he did not say anything bad. <laughs> okay. That's Merwin you playing the violin. for no reason. I know. I, 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 I feel like I should have thrown in a couple swear words for kicks. Um, okay. We can cut those in later. <laughs> Leonard Bernstein's Serenade is a wonderful piece of music for violin and strings, harp, and percussion. And it was actually commissioned by Serge Kuzovitsky's foundation. And it's just a stunning piece of music. It's a really interesting formal choice, I think. Um, it's called a serenade. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of 
if you have a very loose understanding of the serenade, you might think, oh, it's something that you sing with a guitar outside mm-hmm. somebody's window <laughs> in the evening. And there's a little bit of that. There's very much a love component to this piece. Mm-hmm. But if you're a little bit more familiar with some of the musical forms, um, a serenade is actually kind of a a multi-movement, evening-long divertimento sort of piece. And that actually ties in with um, Bernstein's literary inspiration. Um, it's titled After Plato's Symposium, which sounds incredibly academic, but mm-hmm. it, it really banquet, isn't. Right? Yeah, it really isn't. Yeah, because Symposium is like a rip-roaring good time. It's, it's actually, actually read it's, the book. A, it's a hangover. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a recovery from a late night of drinking. They were all hammered from the night before, so they okay. decided they're going to take it easy and not drink a lot, so they would have a, a philosophical discussion on love. So the more you philosophize, the more you drink, and the more you drink, the more you philosophize. Uh, There's a song there somewhere. A serenade, perhaps. Perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Zach, you sound like you're all prepped for uh, the quiz that I have this morning. (laughs) No, see, that actually had brass and woodwind instruments. (laughs) This is an all-strings version. Yeah, but that's okay. I know what you guys are going to do. You're you're going to blame me for making the quiz happen. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) We're talking, well, no, we're talking about Brad Plato. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's all bring bring Vlad, as I almost said. Yes, I've been called worse. <laughs> no, this is this is not Bernstein. This is Plato. So we can have all the brass and and percussion that we want. Okay. So I have ten questions here. Ten in ten. your quiz. <laughs> Ten questions. Are they like true or false? Yeah, I was up all night. I had it, you know. I was up all night drinking, writing this quiz. Um, <laughs> the best quizzes are made because I figured way. we would have a talk now. Yeah, right? platonic discussion, if you yeah, mm-hmm. platonic. Uh, okay, so <laughs> here we go. The first one should be easy because Zach has already said it. Define the word symposium as it was meant in ancient Greece. Is it number one a performance? Number two a debate? Number three a contest? Or number four an all nighter? Okay. Anybody, who wants to go first? It's actually kind of a combination yeah. of three and four, frankly. Kind um, of, sort of. It's definitely a drinking party. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was something where you would be serving wine, and the wine was an important part of it because it was supposed to liberate your thinking. You were going to be able to th- say something either wittier or more controversial than you would if you did not, mm-hmm. you were not under the influence of wine. That being said, those speeches often tended to be competitive in nature. So it is kind of a combination of three and four. (laughs) Merwin has done his homework. Okay, one for Merwin. Here's question number two. Which of these persons was not depicted in Plato's symposium? Is it Aristotle? Is it Socrates? Is it Aristophanes? Or is it Alcibiades? Which one of those was not, not depicted in Symposium? Aristotle. You are correct. Great job. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> There's one for Felicia. What was your thinking behind that? Oh, some late night studying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys were making the quiz at, at late night, and you were studying for it late night. <laughs> were, were we all up all night? Is that what we're saying? Here? No, I got a good night's sleep. Okay, so we're incredibly jealous. <laughs> <laughs> the people who were at the party had to give a speech, and they gave a speech in honor of, was it Aphrodite, was it Cupid, was it Bacchus, or was it Eros? Who did they give a, Felicia? Eros. That's right. We all just raised our hand. (laughs) We were incredibly polite, right? (laughs) Two for Felicia. Well, raising your hand is okay, unless you just, you know, want to spit it out. That's fine. 
Who is the host of the party? Is it Aristophanes, Phaedrus, Agathon, or Pythagoras? Uh, well, Merwin, well, I, I can turn that song. I don't know. I just was it's raising Agathon. my hand. Agathon. <laughs> Agathon <laughs> is the host. Yay! I'm getting tired of that crowd cheer. Let's. Yay! Yay. Sounds less <laughs> happy. Okay. Well, yeah. th- this is after the second bottle of wine is open. So. <laughs> 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 right. Okay. So each guest gave a speech in praise of something or someone. So, which in Latin, what do you call one of those speeches? Is it called an oratorio? Is it called an encomium? Is it called a disputandum? Or is it called a laudatum? Um, which of those I, I is a speech in praise of something? It's Merwin? an encomium. That's yeah. right, an encomium. And Yay! yeah. <laughs> encomium. <laughs> These are hard to say. Encomium. Especially after a lot of wine. Yeah. When it is Aristophanes' turn to speak, he has to skip his turn because, number one, he's in the bathroom. Number two, he's fallen asleep. Number three, he has the hiccups. Number four, he has moved to tears by Pausanias' speech, and he can't talk. I thought he was interrupted. Well, when it's his his first turn to speak, he's unable to do so because... I want to say he fell asleep in the bathroom combining one and two, (laughs) but I know that's not true. I'm going to go with the last that he is uh, overcome by emotion. Nope. I got to pull out the I buzzer. He was interrupted <laughs> it is actually the hiccups. It is the hiccups. It by hiccups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was interrupted by hiccups. There is You're actually right. a an, it's a little disputed about how literal Leonard Bernstein was, mm-hmm. but the there is a hiccups kind of moment at the beginning of the third movement which could be a reference oh. to this. Yeah. It it you could sound like hiccups. It could sound like a bunch of other things. It Can you do like us a, a bunch favor? of kids playing. Yeah. Do, do <laughs> us a favor and just do throw in a couple hiccups yourself at that point. Can you sing I'll it? I'll do my it. very best. <laughs> can so you people sing that can watch it. Actually, it's in the percussion. I can't. Oh, it's uh. the xylophone. Is that the xylophone part? But you don't have yeah. to use your, your mouth. You could just sort of hick along with it. I, right? I didn't bring my kazoo. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, those kazoos are going to make a reappearance before the this season is out. I can't. Uh, Question number seven. We still have three questions to go. Ready? I like this one. Aristophanes does eventually speak, though, and he explains love as two halves who are seeking a whole. And the reason for this is, number one, people spend their lives trying to reconnect with lovers from their past lives. Number two, people originally had double bodies, that is, four legs, two heads, four arms, but Zeus chopped them in half. Number three, love is a spirit which exists halfway between gods and men, so humans can never be fulfilled by each other alone. And number four, love is actually a disease of the spirit that can only be cured by adding more love, sort of like homeopathy. Any of those? Go ahead, Felicia. The second one, which is... Where people used to have like double heads, bodies, Mm -hmm. appendages. That's right. Good one. Whoops. Hello. This no, is an right. Oh, my gosh. Hey. <laughs> uh, Elaine Trudeau, that, make a guest appearance. Take that toy away then. from you, Crespo. Yeah, I know. Well, my eyes are not as good at, you know, at this time, um, at any time, basically. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting creation mm-hmm. myth that he came up with, the idea that, that people had double bodies. Like, they came in three different flavors. You had... Uh, the double bodies who were both male, mm-hmm. 
and double bodies who were both female, and then you had the hermaphrodites, who were, mm-hmm. one was male and one was female. So that explained all the different aspects of physical love right there, that when they were split in half. Is that where the phrase, like, um, looking for your other half, like, that's yeah, where looking for your other half. Yeah. yeah. Your better half. Yeah. Number eight. According to Socrates, or Socrates, if you're a fan of Bill and Ted, um, what is the highest love of all? Is it platonic love? Is it the love of beauty? Is it reproductive love? Or is it the love of deity? Which of those? Anybody got a clue? It's the love of beauty. It's the love of beauty. That's right. But but not like the, the, the desire to possess beauty or beauty just in the physical form. Beauty in all of its, all of its. Oh, I've been interpreting form. it as beauty in the beast. So yeah. I, I've got to re, re, rephrase. You got to go back and, yeah. and change re- your interpretation. <laughs> yes, uh, yes. I have to Emma Watson. <laughs> <laughs> rework, rework that part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When you get to that part in the uh, serenade, just do like a little. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> That'll don't. probably cause me to have the hiccups, so it'll actually be, <laughs> be very ill timed. Yeah. Audiences just sit really close to the stage. Yeah. <laughs> Under just his breath, you can just hear it now. Somebody drives in from a far distance for this concert, and they listen. They say. Is he growling? <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. Is he on really stage. growling? <laughs> oh, that, that brings to mind a story which I can't tell. Uh, wow. But maybe I'll tell you later. Um, okay, number nine. How does the party end? This goes on. Does the party end in drunken chaos? Does it end in extended conversation? Does it end with people going to sleep? Or does it end with. Uh, basically somebody just picking up and going about their business. I think it's all of the above. I think it's all of the above. (laughs) Really? (laughs) It is all of the above. (laughs) That's pretty much how the concert's supposed to end. Everyone falls asleep. (laughs) And then one person wakes up. Or like stays awake all night. Well basically what happens is a whole bunch (laughs) more partiers come in. So they they, they just descend into drunken chaos. And then they wake up the next morning, and some of the people are still talking. They're, they're like, arguing about how playwrights should be able to write both comedy and tragedy, and other people are sleeping, and I think it's Socrates who gets up and just, like, like, picks up and continues with his day and washes his hands. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. exactly. Like, you know, we've we've lived through that all before. It's called college. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what your college experience is like. We have not evolved that much. <laughs> or devolved, yeah. <laughs> as the case may be. Um, okay, here's your extra credit question, number 10. So Plato portrayed all of these different people in his writings, but Plato himself has been portrayed in other greats of literature, including a famous poem that refers to him as a virtuous pagan. Can you tell me what this poem is? Merwin, is it's on the tip Dante? of your tongue. Dante what? Be I more specific. Rem- so. Well, what books did Dante write? Yes, but and if it's a virtuous pagan, would that be Purgatorio? Uh, no. It you, could, you could have said the Divine Comedy. I could have said the Divine Comedy, and I was trying to. But of the Divine s- Comedy, he actually, uh, Virgil and Dante come across Plato, along with a lot of other Greek philosophers, fairly early in the... Um, First Circle of Hell, yeah. I believe, in Limbo. They are the virtuous pagans yeah. because they weren't Christians. They couldn't go to paradise. I, I feel like any of the author gets at least partial credit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can give it to you. So, 
I don't know. I mean, I, I think as far as the quiz goes, you two were running neck and neck, Merwin yeah. and, and Felicia. Yay. I think Felicia <laughs> won. Absolutely. I, yeah, I think we have to give it to Felicia mostly because Merwin has been, you know, studying up on his Plato and his violin. I crammed last night. Right? <laughs> Good well, job. And I, and I came completely um, unprepared because I prepared for a different quiz. I prepared for a quiz about Play-Doh. The, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, you were misleading, Brad. Yes, you were. Um, <laughs> yes. So so I'll ask you this. Uh, what we know is Play-Doh, P-L-A-Y hyphen D-O-H, um, it, it debuted as an instructional tool in the school system in what American city? The year was 1955. Toledo. <laughs> no? Anyone else? No. Can you Cincinnati. give us a clue? Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Yes. Oh, Cincinnati. Really? Hey, I was close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you were. Um, just down 75. Uh, the, the other question I have for you about Play-Doh is that it, it, it um, was originally created and later reformed for, uh, for instructional use. It was originally created as a bug deterrent B, a skin lotion. Or Are you C, making this up right now? <laughs> a wallpaper cleaner. <laughs> You're going to go for bug deterrent. Yeah, bug deterrent. You guys? Oh, no, this is Brad's quiz. Okay. It can't be because it was the first one you said, but that's not it. It's C, a wallpaper cleaner. Wallpaper cleaner. Actually, yeah, that would be quite effective. Yeah. <laughs> I just chucked all the Play-Doh in yeah. my house. Cause, yeah. But see, if you <laughs> clean it, if you clean the wallpaper with it, then you're also getting rid of the bugs. So it's a bug deterrent, <laughs> really. Um, well, we got a few minutes left. Hey, look at that. Let's talk about uh, let's talk about Serenade and talk more about Bernstein. This is music that he wrote fairly early on. It, it was even before West Side Story. I think it was about the same the time that he did. Yeah, yeah. right around 54. the time that Play-Doh was coming out exactly. in Cincinnati public schools. Exactly. Yeah, Play-Doh. Can you guys find some way to work Play-Doh into the educational curriculum for the Toledo Symphony School? It is. It is it really? isn't the curriculum. My son is being has been taking group lessons with Jillian Bowers, who's a violinist with the symphony, and she uses Play-Doh to help strengthen the fingers. Oh yeah. Yep. Really? So that was not on your list, Zach. You have to put that on the list. Tearing bugs, cleaning <laughs> wallpaper, strengthening fingers. You could do all of those at the same time. It could be like a stress ball. Everyone yeah. should just have Play-Doh at work. I think we're all pretty stressed right now. Too many quizzes. We, we <laughs> should do a, we should make a, like a bust of Plato out of Play-Doh, right? I feel like Andy Warhol must have done that at some yeah, point, right? Am I? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to Bernstein. So 1954, same year that he did On the Candid. Waterfront, yeah. I believe. Yeah. He was composing Candide around the same time. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, you know, listening to some of that music, it's interesting that it was written during the time of Candide. Mm-hmm. But I hear, and, and tell me if you hear this as well, little bits and pieces of West Side Story oh, in yeah. there. There's a lot of that, and even though it was a few mm-hmm. years out. Well, the music that he had written for Candide, some of the the rejects uh, became West Side Story. Mm. So this is all from the same same uh, mental time. If you if you go that direction, yeah. Some well, of the intervals, some of the intervals were very um, like West Side Story. I was listening to it this morning yeah. again, and I think I heard like a couple notes, and I immediately thought of "There's a place for us." Right. Is that yeah. Yeah. It's just so incredibly lyrical, and yeah. I think that every one of the speakers, even, I mean, when Bernstein's capturing the, the speakers, they each have a different tempo, they have a different mm-hmm. feel to them, but they are all incredibly more eloquent than 
I'm say, I'm assuming that we would be having had many many glasses of wine <laughs> and trying to speak on a subject impromptu. Um, they're just incredibly lyrical and eloquent, and I think that the music captures that. There's always this incredible flow mm-hmm. that's really a great challenge for the violinist to try to like the first phrase is something like four, is 41 beats long, and you're just wow. trying to like not let that phrase die. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that though, because if I, I, I'm thinking back to Plato's Republic and. Um, as part of the, the idealized republic, he wanted us all to get rid of lyricism and lyrical poetry and focus on the, the real stuff. Mm-hmm. So what we're celebrating in this piece, which celebrates Plato, wouldn't have existed in a, a Plato paradise. Yeah. But I think he was talking about governance, and governance yes. is not necessarily a place of lyricism. But it, for but it was something that he considered an incredibly important part of education himself was yeah. was music. You know, this is this is a really interesting opportunity because the four of us have sat together for this entire season talking about music, but this is a rare opportunity where one of us happens to be the soloist in the upcoming concerts. We've mm-hmm. interviewed a lot of soloists and conductors on uh, on this program, but Merwin when we first talked about doing the symposium and we agreed that you would be the soloist. What was going through your mind? It's just an amazing challenge. I think one of the things that's kind of amazing about Leonard Bernstein is in so many ways, his music is kind of a self-portrait. I mean, you have, and he is a man of so, such vastness. He's a great educator. He's so clever. He was passionate. He was um, humorous. He was able to combine the popular world and the classical world, and there's this a bit, need to somehow be a philosopher and an act, actor at the same time. And and of course, Bernstein just oozes charisma. And I think there's that element in the music is like the soloist needs to somehow be able to dip a toe into each one of those things and I think I actually named 10 things so that's just enough toes <laughs> it's a very a whole very, lot of toes yeah it's a whole lot of toes and I think to be able to do all of that it's both it's it's like multitasking to the extreme and yet it needs to seem just as simple as an impromptu talk yeah. and I think that's one of the most what, it's been an amazing challenge, and it's been so much fun to prepare and to try to capture all of those elements in just a half hour. Are you doing the pre-concert lecture? Oh, this? no, I'm passing that off. <laughs> <laughs> you say that, would, that would be a little pressure's on, you know, to come out and He's passing it talk. off to, to lesser cap- less capable hands. <laughs> Who would that Who's be? Who's doing that? I'll be doing it. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, is there anything in your preparation, though, this would be good to know for the pre-concert lecture. Um, that surprised you. Yes, I think one of the things that was incredibly difficult was how unpredictable the orchestra parts are. Mm-hmm. I think there's Bernstein's constantly changing the meter and finding the kind of the ability to live within my own part wasn't as difficult as just being able to kind of absorb the rest of the score because he constantly surprised me. It's like, oh, I know where this phrase is. Oh, no, I totally didn't. Oh, <laughs> that would have made me late. <laughs> Whoops, that's not good. <laughs> so I think the the unpredictable, it was almost merc- mercurial how, how just on a dime he would shift and it was really, it's a great score. I mean, the, the orchestra parts are wonderful. 
wonderful yeah. parts. Yeah. Well, that brings our time to a close for today, and uh, we want to let you know that that concert is happening a week from this weekend. It's May 11th and 12th at 8 o'clock p.m. at the Peristyle at the Toledo Museum of Art. Uh, Giordano Bellincampi at the podium, Merwin Sue performing on violin. More information at ToledoSymphony.com or 419-246-8000. Toledo Symphony Lab is generously underwritten by a gift from the estate of Barbara Garwood and is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony. You can download episodes of this program as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. We want to hear from you. Give us a call. Leave your comments or questions at 419-418-0012. We may use your voice in a future episode. Again, that number is 419-418-0012. And remember, you can check out all the upcoming events at the Symphony by visiting their website at ToledoSymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. My thanks to Zach Vassar, Merwin Sue, and Felicia Canny. I'm Brad Cresswell, and this has been Toledo Symphony Lab on FM 91.